What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 31 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they lead with their fate out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as you and I are both seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Today's episode, we get to sit down with Christy Wright. Christy Wright is one of Dave Ramsey's personalities. She speaks to tens of thousands of people all over the country at national conferences, works with multiple Fortune 500 companies like Verizon and Bayer. She's also addressed students at Oklahoma, Indiana, Wyoming, Purdue. She's a certified business coach. She runs the Ramsey's Business Boutique, where she helps ladies and entrepreneurs. But I'm telling you, from her thoughts on leadership to her thoughts on balance, goal setting, reaching goals, you may go, well, she speaks more to women. I'm just telling you, everything she has to say is applicable across the board. Her and her husband, Matt, live in Brentwood, Tennessee. And I'm telling you, her love of leadership and her passion to see people be all that they were created to be is infectious. So I hope you have something good to write with. I hope you have something good to write on or take notes on because what she has to say today is right up your alley, I promise you. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in on my time with Christy Wright. Christy, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It is an honor to have you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Well, I've gotten to hear you, to listen to you, unpack your story a little bit. When you were growing up, you know, there's some people that look at where you are today and say, well, gosh, she must have had a silver spoon in her mouth. It must have been really easy. But that really wasn't your story, was it? No, not at all. It's funny, you know, because I work for Dave Ramsey, which many people are familiar with. I think sometimes people get confused and think I'm his daughter. And I saw on Facebook one time, like <laughs> someone, you know, they'd posted on Dave's Facebook page, one of my videos, a YouTube video or coaching segment or something. And someone commented, yeah, I guess you had it pretty easy being Dave Ramsey's daughter. And I was like, oh well, my I'm gosh, <laughs> let's start there. That's hilarious. I know. I know. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing because it where I am today is not it's not only not my might not be what you expect. It's not what I expected, to be yeah. honest. It's not like, um, you know, Christy, when did you have this dream to be an author, or business coach, or run a small business? And brand? those thoughts never occurred to me, Mike. They really didn't. And so the Bible verse, more than you could ever ask or imagine, mm. is mm. so just um, the banner of my life because everything I'm doing is certainly more than I could have ever dreamt of when I was 16 or 26 even. So my mom, uh, was a single mom and she was single from the time that I was six months old. And, uh, like many people, uh, she looked up one day, she was 33 
uh, you know, just me two years ago and, uh, her life didn't turn out like she expected. She thought, you know, she and my dad had these big plans and they had a baby and she was going to stay home with me and she quit her job to stay home with me. And then things didn't work out with them. Uh, like a lot of times they don't. And, and she was left with a six month old and trying to make it. And, and, you know, just the vulnerability of being a new mom, your first baby, a tiny baby, by the way, and not having a source of income, she had $64 to her name. And so, so um, one of the things that's so awesome about my mom, and she's still like this to this day, is she is insanely scrappy and mm. resourceful and persistent and persevering. And so um, in that moment, she kind of went into survival mode and she went back to something she had always known and loved, which was making cakes. She had done that at a little bakery when she was 16. And so she went into a candy store in downtown Nashville on a cold day in February and pitched a business idea to the owner and said, Hey, let me have this showcase window. You're not using, I'll make cakes here. I'll give you a percent of my profits. It'll be eye catching for people. You know, when they walk by to see someone decorating cakes and, and he went for it and she used $64 she had to buy supplies that day. And then the next day, you know, when she had opened up, uh, she made exactly $64 back and then put that into supplies. And, uh, and it's just amazing. Those beginnings of her story were the beginning of my story. And I didn't realize it at the time, of course, as a baby, but uh, it wasn't long before there was a line around the block, but not for the candy. It was for my mom's cakes. And he kicked her out and she had to get her own place. And, uh, you know, <laughs> he now, got a little jealous. Yeah. He was like, you need to move along. <laughs> so, that is hilarious. Uh, now 30, five years later, mom is still in business and she does it now just for fun. Uh, she says to keep her skills sharp, <laughs> whatever that is. And, uh, and yeah, but it's just amazing how, uh, so much of my background was growing up in the business. Like mm. I spent more time with my mom's employees than I did my own friends. Um, after school, I was at the cake shop. We were there at two and three in the morning when she had to go to the cake shop and bake. And you know, when you're a child, your parents frame your normal. So that was normal to me. I didn't, I didn't think, oh, you know what? You know what, Mike? I'm supposed to be having Pinterest parties right now, but instead I'm at a cake shop. No, that thought never occurred to me. I was like, well, doesn't everybody hang out at the cake shop when they're seven? You know, yep, that's and right. So I never questioned it. And uh, the real encouragement piece of that story for me that I share specifically on stage at business boutique events and that type of thing, and specifically for women, but I think it applies to both men and women is that as parents, we always focus on what we're not doing and how we're harming our kids and we're failing our kids. And I didn't do this enough, or I missed this thing, or I brought them to work with me. Heaven forbid, I brought them to work with me. And we just feel so guilty. But Mike, you know, in hindsight, I'm 35 now. Um, I look back on my story and it was a struggle. It was really hard. I remember times when, um, you know, we went to the cake shop one time and it had been broken into and we were scared. We didn't know if the robber was still inside. Uh, I remember when we, uh, you know, got a flat tire in the rain on the side of the road. And, and it was a struggle. It was a struggle. It was her and I. But now as a grown woman myself, I didn't make it despite the struggle. I made it because of it. Boy, because that's good. It was struggle that shaped me. It was the struggle that created those very qualities in me of being scrappy and persistent and persevering and resourceful. And I've used that in every aspect of my life today. And I believe it's those qualities that got me to where I am. So I'm so grateful for the struggle. So if I have a word of encouragement for parents out there that may struggle with that guilt or feel that tension, you're not harming your kids by working hard. You're helping them and you're setting an incredible example for them. Well, that's such a great story. When did it hit you? When did all of that, you go, okay, 
I get it now. That's that's what shaped me. Was that something you got as a teenager? No. Or were you in your 20s and early 30s when that really settled in on oh, you? Oh, it was later. I will say the real perspective happened when I had my own children. Yeah. And I think that, you know, regardless of the age, whether you have kids at 22 or 32 or 42 or, or you know, older, uh, there is something that happens when you have your own children, if you do, where you have an unheard of appreciation for your own parents. Mm. Because mm. you didn't know before. That's that. right. You didn't know how tired they were. You didn't know all the sacrifices they made. You didn't know the love they had for you uh, in that way until you have it yourself. And then you look at your parents and go and look at your mom and your dad and go, oh, I get it, mom. I get it, dad. And so for me, I matured a lot in college and my early 20s in terms of my relationship with my mother and my appreciation of her. But it was nothing to the level that I experienced in this grand leap when I became a mom myself. Do you think she realized what she was teaching you? Or no. was she just living it out intuitive? That's just no, who she totally. was. Totally. That's what, that. That's the thing. And, and now I think, you know, in our world, in our culture, certainly my generation of parents, we have this insane standard to be perfect and be intentional mm-hmm. and goal setting and have your kids and all the activities and all the parties have got to be perfect and crafted and vegan and gluten-free and all the things. <laughs> My gosh, we're just, we have such standards. Like mom was just, mom was just making it, you know, yeah, like she, yeah. she was drinking tabs and getting up at three in the drinking morning. Drinking tab, you know, the drink from hell. That is <laughs> the drink know? from hell. That is, is a dangerous know? drink. I mean, she drank them by the case, Mike. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh this was the eighties. Like it was like everything flew in the eighties. No wonder she could stay up all night I know, working. I know exactly. So, uh, so anyway, so I think, you know, now imagine the results we get. There's a danger in that mm. perfectionism, but there's also just with us having more knowledge and being more intentional. If mom got those results without being intentional about it, how how much how That's many right. more results can I get with my children knowing what I know from what she taught me by example that I can certainly set that example for my kids, but also intentionally shaping them, creating experiences for them, teaching them lessons and just being more aware of of molding that child into the the adult that you hope that they could become. So um, I think every generation you want more for your kids than you had, right? And That's I right. had more in my life than my mom had. She grew up very poor and, uh, and I had more opportunities and more everything. And so um, I certainly think that I want that for my boys as well. You know, it's funny. I was listening to one of your talks and you were talking about remembering the day you had flour in your hair and looking down and seeing that flower. When you're working with a young entrepreneur, we're going to get into a little bit of the work that you're doing. When you're working with somebody, you remember that time and you remember that season of your life, what does it do for you in trying to help someone chase their dreams? Well, I, I, I think for me, it goes back to what I said a minute ago, where I know in my life, the struggle didn't break me, it made me. Mm-hmm. And so when women are going through a struggle, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, or, or men for that matter, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, necessarily. You're just in a season where it's hard, but it, it doesn't hard and good don't have to be mutually exclusive. It can be hard and be very good. That's good. And, um, and, and I think that a lot of times we like to put things in buckets and just label them. And, and if it's hard, we're, we kind of play a victim or make excuses and, and we stay stuck there. And that's not true. It can be a hard season. Um, you know, I, when you say flower in my hair, I want to specify like, like baking flower, not that's flowers right. in the garden. Uh, <laughs> flowers in my hair would also look good. Either one. Yeah, that's a, oh, you are. I'm sorry. That's a very good point, Christy. Yeah. Uh, point well mom, taken. Yeah, but so, so what Mike's referring to is mom would pull me out of bed at like two in the morning 
<laughs> and take me to cake shop and she'd make me a bed on her 50 pound bags of oh powdered sugar and flour and I'd go back to sleep there until it was time to go to school and so uh it was so far from perfect it was so just making it and doing the best you can which I think as a single mom that was the only expectation she had on herself was just do the best you can and I think that we might all be able to learn a lesson from that of we all are really doing the best we can whatever our family situation looks like whatever our business looks like whatever our hours look like, you know, I work with a lot of men through entree leadership that say to me, you know, when I speak on life balance, they say, Chrissy, I don't have the time, like my job is so demanding. My role is so demanding. I don't have the amount of hours to spend with my kids that I would like. And then my Mm -hmm. advice to them is, focus on quality over quantity. You don't have Mm. to spend all the hours in a day with your children and and orbit around their universe. And maybe you can't make every single game. And that's totally fine and normal, by the way, for a lot of people. But when you're with them, be with them. Yeah. Put your phone down, close your computer. Like, I don't know about you, Mike, but I would rather spend two hours of quality time on a Saturday with my family where we are going on walks, playing on the playground, playing soccer, doing scavenger hunts, like engaged and looking each other in the eyes than eight hours where everyone's staring at a screen. That's right. Focus on quality over quantity. Maybe you have less hours, but if you make the most of those hours, those will be the hours your kids remember. And so, and so even if you're in a different season or different business where you've got different restraints on you, you really can make the best of the season that you're in. That's so good. You know, and you look at, and we were talking earlier just about our faith journey a little bit too. When you look at your life and you see that tapestry of God at work in your life, who do you think you would be? If you had grown up another way, if your mom had had all of that and she had had all the resources and all the tools and all the stuff and you hadn't have slept on a bed of F-L-O-U-R <laughs> and not, not a bed of flowers and you had and you had not grown up the way. What do you think would be different about your life? I think, I mean, this is a, a, a snap judgment, but I would think, I think I'd be very entitled. And mm. you see that, you see that as children of the helicopter parent generation, they are insanely entitled and, and they are, uh, uh, very naturally fall into a victim mentality. Someone should hand me this. Why didn't someone swoop in and save me and rescue me? And, and, and the, the most amazing thing though, Mike is like, as parents, our natural inclination is to want to do that. Even with my, my children that are one in three, of course, I want to save them. I want to save them from every fall, from every hurt, from every heartache, from every mistake. I want to save them. But until they learn how to get up and dust themselves off and try again, or to experience that embarrassment and push past it, or to make a mistake and look someone in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, until they actually walk that out, then they don't have those skills. That's if I so always true. save them from having to use those skills. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of, um, young adults now that are that have that entitlement mentality and and these parents are going how did I raise someone that Mm. seems so entitled that doesn't get it that doesn't want to work hard and it's because they saved them so much so it's this weird tension as parents of you don't want to let them fall but gosh you've got to let them fall you don't want to let them struggle but you got to let them struggle so they can problem solve and have those life skills that you need to be able to be a mature competent uh leader in this world that's so true and you know so I'm on I'm on the other side I'm the I'm the old guy in this conversation conversation, which is sad, but, um, my heart is still young, but I'm just getting old, but uh, you know, my kids are 24 and 21 and it it was hard to experience failure as a person 
it's harder to watch your kids experience failure yes. and to let it happen. Yes. Knowing, knowing it's what they need, right. knowing the struggle is what they need. You want to do everything within your power to keep them from that struggle. And I think it's the, it's the crisis. I don't know if you know, Tim Elmore, Tim, mm-hmm. Tim, oh, Tim with growing leaders, amazing amazing guy talking about millennials and that generation. But Tim, we all want to save our kids from what's going to shape them and make them. And man, aren't you thankful your mom was able to, in the middle of all that, pour into you and not even know she was doing it. She was just living out what she thought. So tell me about even back then, when did your faith journey really begin to develop and grow in your walk with the Lord? How did that come about? It's, I think a lot of, you know, people have different stories and mine have um, very distinct milestones. So I did not grow up in the church. Mom took me to church, uh, you know, Easter and Christmas, basically mm-hmm. growing up. And so I didn't grow up in the church. I started going to a youth group with a friend when I was um, in eighth grade, but still didn't know God. Like I was, it was a social thing for me. Sophomore year of high school, at a young life camp one weekend, um, I got it. Like it just clicked. I got the message and gave my life to the Lord. And then the next four years probably were a very immature, mm-hmm. uh, teenage version of a believer, <laughs> you know, uh, and all that that involved. And so, um, uh, college, sophomore year of college, I went to a young life camp. Again, I went on summer staff for a month. I was on assignment and, um, God just really worked in me, did a lot of maturing in me, stripping away of old habits and beliefs and that type of thing. And even in my identity, I have some real wounds from childhood with my dad that shaped my views of myself, my views of men, my views of the world, my views of God, even, and God yeah. had undo some of that. And then, um, and then, so really in college, there was another kind of milestone leap. And then I would say, um, you know, as I obviously just grew older in my, in my faith, I've dug more into the Bible and understanding where, where, where do I fit in this world of terms of living out my faith? You know, I could look at Christine Kane and be like, well, am I supposed to be Christine Kane? Like, am I supposed to be preaching and teaching and like all day, every day? And then you look at some people that you wouldn't even know they're Christian necessarily explicitly because they don't talk about it explicitly, but they are. And just trying to kind of figure out like, where do I fit in this world? Um, which is what you talk about. I know on your, a lot on your podcast, yep. how does your faith not only shape who you are, but how do you integrate it into the work that you do? And I've been navigating that. And, and it's funny because I was, um, so last fall I was on, uh, the propel women's tour. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm speaking on sharing the stage and sharing dinner with, uh, Christine Kane and Lisa Bevere and Lisa Harper and Beth Moore and Lisa Turkhurst. And I'm like, Mike, I'm getting smarter by just being in the same room <laughs> as these women. Like I'm yeah. just soaking up every ounce of knowledge that I can and, and I, and I want to look at them and say like, okay, God, am I supposed to be growing into this? Is this what I'm supposed to aspire to as a speaker and author? And then there's other people, there's women in the business world, just rocking it in business. And I felt God show me after a few weeks of me trying to like, you know, get my bearings. I'm like, God, what are you trying to show me about all these examples in front of me of these amazing women? And I felt God say, Christy, you don't see someone doing what you're going to do because you're going to do something no one's done. Boy, and, that's and good. The story that I have for you is not one where I'm, uh, you know, imitating someone else. My story for you is unique. It may not be as big. It may not have as many followers. It may not be as world renowned as a Beth Moore, but it's unique. And I want you to do something that I've not asked anyone to do. So stop looking for a model to follow. You, you, you got me and I'm leading you where I want you to go. So it's just, it's funny because I, there, I went through a 
season of trying to get my bearings. I'm like, okay, sure. Lord, God, what are you trying to show me? And God's like, I- I'll show you each step of the way, but you're doing what I want you to do. Christy, right. What you're going to do. And, and there's, that's freeing, but it also is a little scary. <laughs> it, it is a little scary because we like somebody to have blazed the trail a little bit for totally. us to have clear, at least clear like the follow, trees out. Yeah, that's I'll right. Follow this path. I'll follow this formula, these steps, this model. Okay. This is what I'm supposed to pour into and look like. And, and, and it's not that, uh, it's not a cop out to say, I don't have a vision for my life, but I do, I have questioned, you know, for some people, for the Christians, maybe I'm not Christian enough in my work. And then for the people that are in business, it's like, maybe it's a little too faith-based for being legit business. So it's, it's like trying to figure out what is right for me and what is God asking me to do? Not what do the business people think and the Christians think, but what is God asking me to do? And then living that out with confidence and knowing that he's going to provide um, and, and make an impact through that. That's and that's so, hard. That it's, is, it is really hard. hard you know? It is really. So you graduate from high school. You grow up with this incredible experience with your mom. You begin a faith journey. You go off to college. When you set off in this next phase of life, what did you think you would be doing? What did you have in your mind? Well, this is my career path. This is what I'm going to do. I did know that I wanted to do business. I went to college for business specifically. My mom and dad are both entrepreneurs and I had always loved business. I'm very entrepreneurial in nature and how I'm wired. I've got a thousand ideas a day, Mike. It's like, it's just, it's in my nature. Um, So I went to college for business. I switched majors um, my junior year to advertising, to having a focus of advertising because it's so creative and because I just have so many ideas. I'm like, this would be perfect for advertising. Um, thought I'd work at an ad agency, be an art director in New York, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And then my senior year at University of Tennessee, Knoxville, one of the final classes we have to take at advertising is advertising ethics. And this, our professor showed us a documentary. It's by Gene Kilborn called Killing Me Softly. This is mm-hmm. like from a million years ago. It's old. But the documentary was so impactful to me because it showed across history, advertising's, advertising's effect on women. Wow. and self-esteem and how little mm. boys at age six, their self-esteem continues to rise into adulthood. And at age six, it starts to plummet for little girls and they're not skinny enough and they're not pretty enough. And they're not this and that. And, that. and it shows this incredible picture of, of Photoshopping and, and just what that does to women's self-esteem. And, and I thought, I don't think that's what I want to do with my life. I don't think that I want to go work at an advertising agency and use these skills that I have to create catchy beer taglines. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't think it's that. I don't think I want to be on that side of the coin, which is just amazing because I thought as a senior in college, oh, well, this is all wasted. I've got a whole degree on something I don't believe in, I don't stand for, I don't want to be a part of. And of course, nothing is wasted in the kingdom. And God was giving me those skills to now use on the other side of things to teach women how to market and grow their business and make an impact and help more people through best practices of marketing and advertising, which are very important to have in business and leadership and, and even influence, you know, even if you're a leader influencing, to be able to understand how to communicate and write copy. Uh, that, you know, gets people buying in, whether that's your, for your grants or your nonprofit yep. or whatever you do for your church, you know, your fundraising campaign, you got to be able to get compelled. Right. Uh, so I'm using those skills uh, in a way that is so in line with my purpose. And, and I couldn't have seen that as a senior, but it's cool how, I mean, I saw that documentary and I was like, I've made a mistake and God was like, no, we're going somewhere with this. So it was that's it's so good. Cool. It's so amazing. It is so amazing. I, I know there are people out there without a faith journey and I get it. And I mean, I know there are, everybody's on a search and some people just don't have it, 
But when you look at your life and you look at the details of your life and you see how God uses all of those things. So in the rearview mirror of a 35-year-old lady right now in Tennessee, you can look back and go, oh, so that's what he was doing. That's why he prepared me. That's why he got me there. And, and many people may think, Christy, that you just showed up at Ramsey and they went, look, at we're looking for new personalities. Christy's a great communicator. We're going to put her on the platform. She's going to be awesome. She's going to do the business boutique. She's going to do all these amazing things. That's not how you ended up. No. I mean, on the Ramsey team, is it? <laughs> no. tell, tell everybody a little bit no. of the story of, of what got you where you are in the Ramsey group. Okay, so this story, this, there's two parts to this. There's, there's how I got to working with Dave, and then there's how I became a speaker. Yes, so I didn't yes. start out as a speaker with Dave. Love it. I've been here um, nine years next month, so it's it's been a long, long journey. So I worked for the YMCA in Middle Tennessee for um, three years. When I, when I left uh, college, I was like, what is a company I believe in? I'll do anything for a company I believe in. Mm. Because I thought, and that's always been my advice to people, find a company that values what you value and do anything. Sweep the floors, clean the toilets, doesn't matter. Because if you prove yourself, good companies will make a place for good people. Yep. So my strategy was get in with the why. So I got in uh, to a seasonal position, uh, summer camp director, and then that opened up opportunities for me to be an aquatic director and then a district aquatic director. So for three years, I kind of built my career as a really young leader with a new center and then a, a center that was a turnaround that I really had to, to clean up some, some messes in, in, a, in a hard year for them. So that was an amazing experience as a 23 year old. Yeah. Well, after about three years in nonprofit and all your pastors are about to say, amen, <laughs> I got burned out. Like, yeah. like nonprofit is great and it'll run you right on into the ground. Like, yes. it, like the hours are unending and the pay is not great. And you just, and, and I also just felt I'm a hard worker, but I felt in my spirit, my season is up here. Mm. And so it was one specific summer. And I remember I was living in Mount Juliet. I was working at the Donaldson Hermitage Y that, that year. I also lived, had a farm. So that's a lot of extra work. That's a different story for a different day, but I, I had a lot of extra work that I was doing. And I stood on my deck and I said, God, I just don't know that I'll find a company I believe in as much as the why. Like, I know it's time for me to move, move on, but I, I love that we do work that matters. I love that we change lives. I love that we make an impact. I just don't think I'm going to find another company that I believe in that way. And God said, to, like the words came into my head, Mike, you're going to work for Dave Ramsey. Really? fantastic. Who is Dave Ramsey? I had wow. no idea. Mike, I walked over to my computer, which was sitting up on my deck, Googled Dave Ramsey. And it said based in Nashville, Tennessee. That's what of course comes up on Google. And I was like, yeah. oh, great. I don't even have to move. Like he's here. I had no idea who this was. Um, so I applied for a position and then uh, that turned into a different position that was sent to me. Like, oh, we think this would be a better fit. It was a youth project coordinator position. Well, because I'd done programs at the Y, swim programs for youth and teens, lifeguarding programs for youth and teens. I had a background in young life. I was qualified. I'd never done products, you know, youth products like they were hiring me to do, but, but I got the job. So I started in the fall of 2009 and uh, in the spring of 2010. So I need to, I need to take your listeners back with me at this time. Our, our company now, by the way, has 700 plus people. Wow. At this time, we had 270 people. Dave's daughter, Rachel Cruz, no one had ever heard of. She was a college student at UT. And we had no personalities, no speakers. No, it was just Dave. That's yep. it. It was Dave, the radio show, Financial Peace University, and some kids' products and kids' books. So there was none of the stuff that exists today. Not most of it. So I come on and I'm I'm in, in the youth department. So I'm doing youth products, youth Bible studies, Generation Change, the kids' books, all that stuff as a product developer kind of. Well, in the spring of 2010, 
uh, Rachel was going to graduate in May and she was going to come on our team, come work for our company as kind of the face, quote unquote, face of the teens. We didn't even know what that meant. We just knew we were going to make a role for her and she was going to, she was a talented speaker. We thought, you know, maybe she'll start doing some speaking kind of like Dave does. So a guy in my department had worked out an arrangement with a conference called the Move Conference. Some of your listeners may be familiar with it. This was put on by Christ in Youth. So it was 20 different dates throughout the summer speaking to 1,000 students each. So it was 20,000 students, huge opportunity for her to kind of get her skills in speaking and all that stuff. So they work out this whole arrangement. I wasn't a part of it at all. I, I did throw my hand up and say, hey, has anyone asked Rachel if she wants to do this? I don't know. just thought that might be valuable. <laughs> They're just, the, this train is rolling. They're working out the contract, all this stuff. In the process of the spring, I inherit this because I'm in the youth department. So like, oh, you just take this over. You be the li- liaison, whatever. So like, okay, fine. Two weeks. Two weeks before she's supposed to go on the road. So she has not even graduated yet. And she's supposed to go on the road two weeks later. She's still in Knoxville we get the travel schedule from the conference. Well, they had booked everything through Expedia to get oh the cheapest flight possible. So you had two and three connections per trip. Mike, you're in a different state every single day. And these cities are small towns outside of major airports. So I just need to paint this picture. Yeah, You are in an airport or plane 16 to 18 hours a day. You land in that city you get picked up by a church van, drive two hours to a college campus, speak for an hour, get back on the church van, go two hours back to the airport, get on a plane, do the whole thing again to go to another state the next day. You're going to New York, to California to get to Texas. Like it was the most insane travel schedule you've ever seen. Well, Dave obviously has to approve this. This is his daughter. She's still in college and he doesn't go for it. <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> Shocker. I know. Uh, so he looks at this. He's like, no, like she's newly married. She hasn't even graduated. Uh, no one should have to do this schedule. She can do 10. This is, this is ridiculous. She can do 10 of the dates. They can pick the 10, uh, but she's not doing these 20 dates. Now, because I inherited this whole ordeal, I had to be the bearer of bad news to the conference. Hey, by the way, two weeks before your conference start, you don't have your keynote speaker for half of the day. So this was a really fun, I've been at the company like eight months. What is happening? So I get on the phone and this is so me, Mike, like I don't really think things through. I'm not a planner. I'm not, I I don't really think ahead, but I'm an incredible problem solver. So I'm just like, I I only think so far and then I'm good on my feet, you know, think on my feet. So I get on the phone and all I have thought through was I'm going to tell him the bad news. Like I didn't have a plan after that was just deliver the bad news. And so he could pick the 10 dates and that was the end of the story. So he's, I tell him, I said, I'm so sorry. You know, this travel schedule is really too much. She's young. She's coming on our, our team. I said, I'm so sorry. She can't do the 20 dates, but she can do 10. And you can pick whichever 10 you want, but she's not going to be able to do these dates. And he said, Christy, what am I going to do? I have her booked for 20 keynote presentations to a thousand students. Each. That starts in two weeks. What am I going to do? And without thinking, I said, I'll do them. And he said, can you speak? I said, I think so. Mike, I had never spoken in my (laughs) life. I didn't ask permission. I didn't email Dave. I I just said, I'll do it. And so then, of course, that leads to me doing it that summer. I went on the road. I went to all of Rachel's dates and did AV for her, ran her slides and stuff. And then I went to all the other cities and did the So you ended up doing all 20 dates. the whole schedule. Holy smokes. Do I have some stories from that? Oh my gosh. So, So then at the end of the summer, 
Uh, we get off the road. Finally, we have survived this crazy summer as an understatement. And that fall, our company identified a real need for more speakers because we were turning down 3,000 requests per year for days. night. So they created, the company created a quote unquote speakers group. And in this group were seven people, five men and two women, Rachel and me. And I did not audition, apply, did not interview. No one even really asked me. They just kind of slid me in because I did a good job that summer. And that, of course, now has evolved into the Ramsey personalities. And we all have different messages and different markets in the business boutique. But it doesn't have even an ounce of the intentionality behind it that you would think. It was a lot of me being scrappy, like my yeah. mom, me problem solving like an entrepreneur. And, and I think the biggest lesson that I could give for, especially for your listeners, and I'm on this big kick right now. The biggest takeaway for me that I see a lot of leaders winning, they say yes before they know how. Boy, that's good. I said yes, Mike. I didn't know how. I didn't know how to speak. I didn't know how I was going to stand on stage. I didn't know how I was going to get over my nerves. I just said yes. And I was like, I'll figure it out as I go. And all of the entrepreneurs that I interview on my podcast, the Business Boutique Podcast, that that's what they do. That's the theme in their stories. I, I was like, how did you know you were going to go into other countries and, and expand your brand? Like, I, I didn't know. I just said yes. So say yes before you know how. You know, a lot of times I think, especially as believers, we get this paralysis by analysis. I've got to have, be sure God's got to show me a sign. I'm going to sit on my couch and wring my hands till God appears out of the clouds. An angel comes and sits on my couch with me and says, for sure, this is the way. I don't think it always happens like that. I think that God is attracted to activity. I think that God can turn a moving car. God cannot turn a stalled car. Get that car rolling. Even if you're not sure, take a step of faith in the direction you think it's going to go. And God will correct you. He's not going to let, if you're leaning into him, he's not gonna let you run yourself off a cliff, but say yes, before you know how I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing today. If I just sat back and said, well, sorry, good luck out there. Hope you find another speaker. I just, and I wasn't interested in self-promoting at all. Being a speaker, I never had a dream to be a speaker. That thought never crossed my little mind. That's why I started with more than I could ever ask for imagine. It wasn't like, Ooh, this is my shot. Yeah. It never occurred to me. I just thought I need to solve a problem. I think I could do it. I could fill in. And, uh, and it's amazing how God takes those steps of faith and turns them into, again, more than you could ask or imagine. When did it hit you what you had done? When did it hit you <laughs> that you went, holy smokes, yeah. what did I just say I was going to yeah. do? Yeah, when great, did, it, great when did that settle in? Great question. So the first date of the 20 was Rachel's and I went with her and it was when I was on stage with her. When she walked on stage like a pro and they said, we're going to do a sound check and she slipped that earpiece over her ear like she was made to do this. And she said, check one, two, check one, two. And she walked the stage, check one, two, testing one, two. I'm Rachel Cruz. And I watched her every move and I thought, you better play pay really stinking close attention because you're about to do this next time and you don't know what you're doing. Wow. And so the next time I did, I literally modeled her. I slipped the earpiece over my ear and I said, check one, two, check one, two. I'm Rachel Cruz. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm Dave's daughter anyways. Oh, no. So it works out well. I'm like, I just got to fake. But uh, you know, as, as, as silly as it sounds, one of the things I tell people, and I, I don't know if this will resonate with your audience, it really does with mine, Mike, is that a lot of times we think that fear is a bad sign. We feel unqualified. We feel in over our head. Like we're not supposed to do this thing. What is that thing God's calling you to? What is that uh, next step of growth that you think, you know what? I'm scared. I'm uncertain. I'm unsure. What it, fill in the blank with whatever the word you want to use. But for you, that's a reason to not move forward. Yeah. And what I found is it's those things that God's specifically asking you to do. You know, fear is not a sign you're doing something bad. It's a sign you're doing something bold. But we think that we have to overcome our fear before we can do the thing. And, and it's 
completely opposite. The antidote to fear is action. Mm. Nothing will silence your fear of doing the thing like doing the thing. So just go do the thing. Um, the thing that I, the example I would use for speaking as an example, uh, is you fake it until you feel it, not Mm. fake it until you make it fake it until you feel confident. Of course, you're not confident at first. You've never done the thing before, right? If you were super confident, I would kind of question that. Like, where does that come from? This is brand new. How are Mm -hmm. you so certain? Of course, you're unsure. You've never done that thing, whatever that new thing is that God's calling you to, but fake it till you feel it. You know, when I walked on that first stage, I just completely faked it, Mike. Like I acted like I belonged. I acted like I was excited to be there when I was shaken in my stilettos. Oh my goodness. I just faked it. And now, of course, after years and years and reps, I'm genuinely excited. I don't get scared at all to go on stage. But the moment you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, there's going to be new fears. I love how um, Joyce Meyer says, new levels, new devils. That's so right. You conquer your fear of one thing. The moment God calls you outside of your comfort zone, which he tends to do on a regular basis, there's going to be new fears that creep up because it's unknown. But you don't have to wait until you're not scared to do that thing. You just do it scared. You just fake it till you feel it. And then it's in doing that you overcome those fears. I I love a statement that you made. In fact, it was so funny. I sent this to my daughter. She was off doing an internship in California this summer. And I sent her this quote when I heard you say it. You said the best opportunities are not jobs that are posted, but problems that are solved. That is a Sheryl Sandberg quote. Absolutely. So she, in her, book, in her book, Lean In, she says, the best career opportunities are not positions that are posted, but problems that are that you solve and that thing becomes your job. And yep. that has certainly been true for me in my career. I just solved a problem and then that thing became my job. Yeah. I, also, I also think one of the things that I want to highlight of kind of my story that I think is a good takeaway for your listeners, regardless of where they are, is don't be afraid to do the grunt work because Mm. it's easy to look at someone like Dave Ramsey or me or anyone for that matter that's on big stages. You know, I spoke um, to the largest audience of my life this last summer. It was a women's conference that was 12,000 women. Before that, it was Catalyst. And I'm going, like, I'm in an arena. Like, what am I doing? And it's easy to think, oh, you just woke up there. But I can't tell you how many speaking events I've been to that were in high school cafeterias That's right. that were in a college auditorium where two people showed up and it was only because they got extra credit. Family reunions, Kentucky County libraries on a Friday night, Mike, nothing yep. gets more excited than Kentucky County <laughs> library on a Friday night. Okay. So don't be afraid to do the grunt work. Cause yep. that, that fall that I told you where we created the speakers group, all the other speakers in the speakers group had a market a message and a niche. Mm. And they also, Rachel was teens and John Acuff was career and Chris Hogan was leadership. I was the one that didn't. And they viewed me as a catch-all. So Mm. any weirdo request that came in that no one knew what to do with, oh, Christy will do it. Christy, can you talk about change? Yeah, I can talk about change. I'd write a talk on change. Christy, can you talk about bullying? Sure, I'll write a talk on bullying. To anyone, I have spoken to audiences of their age four to 84. But here's the thing. Those, those years were insane. I have crazy stories from the speaking events and the just being thrown in the deep end. But what an incredible training ground mm. for me as a speaker to learn how to write content, to connect with different audiences, to adapt to different situations, to think on my feet when you walk in there and, and things don't go as planned. I'll give you an example. Catalyst, I spoke at Catalyst a couple years ago as a breakout the first year, we promoted this entire breakout session for women on life balance. The whole talk, I use examples from scripture. I'm using Mary, I'm Martha, all these examples. I've written the whole talk for women on life balance. And I'm standing in the back of the room with the AV guys as the room is filling up and it is 100% men. Wow. 
And you're sitting there going, what are you going to do? And I completely changed my talk like that. I changed it in that moment. I changed the slides and gave a completely different talk because I can't give a talk about women to a room full of men, right? <laughs> so like you just, the, the skills and how resilient you become so and how, uh, how adaptable you become, it only happens in the grunt work. So regardless of where your leaders are today, they may be in the grunt work going, you know what? Uh, you know, I remember cleaning out the filters in the pool when I was 27 going, God, what are you, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. surely there's more for my life. There was, there was something happening in me and in, in from the pool filters all the way to the family reunions and Kentucky County libraries that prepared me for the catalyst main stage. And I would have never been ready for that if I wasn't developing those skills in the grunt work. So don't be above the grunt work. Don't be above it. Be, be willing to do that grunt work because, because it matters. And, that, and that's so true. I mean, you even think of David in scripture, David was ready to fight Goliath because he had fought the lions and the bears and because he took food to his brothers and he was being obedient to his father. He wasn't doing anything special that day. He was just doing what he was supposed to do. He was doing, I remember Zig Ziglar used to have the quote. He said, we don't pay the price. We just reap the benefits. We only pay the price when we don't do something. And you're now reaping benefits of that willingness to say yes and not know how right. that willingness to go, I'll speak and not right. know how right. and it, it's a, it's such a beautiful thing to see how all that works together. And now you're inspiring women to do the same thing, encourage them to go, you've got a dream, you've got to, and I remember hearing you say, there are just some things you hate hearing women say when they have an idea. Share a couple of those. Those are so good. Well, there's, there's a few, I get on these kicks, you know, I get on some soapboxes, Mike, so I'll spare your listeners on the soapboxes, but I'll tell you, it's funny. I just put a video out, video out even this morning on one of the words that I added to my list of words. I want women to stop saying, um, one of them is just, Mm. I just, I just have this little Etsy shop. I just have this. I just think that we should have this project or I mean, I mean, can he come to the meeting next month? I mean, I don't understand why he didn't do his part of the project. Um, I'm sorry. Women say, I'm sorry. Uh, 90% of the time is times they shouldn't be sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I have a question. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to No. What we're doing is we are not only doing real damage to how other people perceive us, to our own sense of uh, self-worth and self-confidence, but we're doing damage to how we perceive ourselves. Well, that's good. And when you play small and you feel small and you act small and you get small results. And so if you were to take those words specifically out of all of those sentences, listen to how different it sounds when all, all I'm doing is taking out that word. Instead of saying... I just think he should come to the meeting. You say, I think he should come to the meeting. Or I mean, why didn't he do his project? Why didn't he do his project? Or I'm sorry, I have a question. Hi, I have a question. The confidence shoots through the Mm. roof when you take out these weak words. But I'll tell you the one I released a video on today, Mike, and this is this new kick I'm on. And it came out of an experience I had. You know, that's what what we do as content creators. Like, it's all just stuff that happens to us. It's like, bless you if you interact with me and something weird happens because it's going to be a story I'm going (laughs) to do on stage, right? Like, just go ahead and know. I'll take note of that and watch closely. I will will change the names and I will change the situation. So no one will ever know it was that person, but I will use it for sure. So as at the grocery store, and uh, a woman recognized me, which this doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's kind of cool. I'm like, oh, what's your business? Da-da-da. And she said to me, she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, I came to your little event last year. And it stung. Mm. And I couldn't figure out why. And I thought, is it little? It's 3,000 women. Is that little? Because to me, it doesn't feel little. 
it feels big. It feels important. It feels special. Our team works really hard to make it big and awesome. And I thought that word is a dangerous word. Mm. And what's interesting is we don't just say it to each other, which has an unbelievable air of arrogance to it, of your little thing you're doing. That's cute. That's sweet. It's a pat on the head. Mm -hmm. We say it to ourselves and women are really bad about this where we say, I just have this little Etsy shop. And in my, my big kick that I'm on right now, Mike is like, take that word out of your vocabulary because women, I don't care if you're four foot two, unless you're talking about your tiny toddler that is little or how much cream you want in your coffee, which is a little bit, stop saying the word little because your dreams are not little. Your ideas are not little. Your place in this world is not little and what God has for you is not little. So stop saying little and start saying big things and start stepping into and owning the big things that God has for you. But gosh, this word is dangerous. Even though it's a little word, it makes people feel little and I don't like it. I'm over it. I'm done with this word. When when did you, when did that well up in you? Have you always been, and and I would say self-confident and you know what? I'm not going to say I'm, I'm sorry or just, or I mean, was that something you had to develop within you? Did somebody coach you through that to yeah. where you got to where you are today? Oh, it's, it's, it's a great question. I love that question. It's both. So okay. I've always been confident in the sense that I see, I think people mistake confidence. I'll tell you my definition of confidence. Confidence is not being certain it's going to be successful. And so I think when people mistake that and think, oh, well, if confidence is being certain that it's going to work out, being certain it's going to be successful, well, I'm not confident. I'm not confident because I don't know because what if and, and all the variables and all the you know doubts. Okay, fine. That to me is not confidence. I'll tell you what confidence is to me. It's being certain that I'm going to try. Mm. That's all it is. And can I be certain I'm going to give it my all? Oh, Mike, yes. I wasn't confident I was going to be the best speaker they ever had at the MOVE conference, but I was confident I was going to try to hold my own on a stage when I'd never spoken in my life. It's Now, if you if you reframe confidence that way, then all of us can be confident, right? If you're willing to try, I'm confident I'm willing to try and go for it, then that changes things. So that's what I've always had. I've always had that scrappy, resourceful, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to solve problems. I'm willing to go for it and give it my all. Even if it doesn't work out, I'm willing to fall on my face. That's what I have had. What I have had to learn are the ways in which I damage my own confidence by saying mm. those weak words. And it's from other mentors and coaches from, you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader and podcast listener. So listening to other uh, experts in the business space and self-development space and um, leadership space, certainly um, paying attention to what they say, but also catching it in myself. So sometimes I learn by when I say something, I'm like, Ooh, that didn't sound right. I need to I'm always paying attention to like Mm -hmm. what was really going on there and why didn't that work? Um, But sometimes I'm on the receiving end, like in the grocery store when she said, your little event. And I'm like, oh, ow, that hurt. Um, You know, I I had an interaction with a woman and a man that I ran into. And the man, this happens a lot in couples. The man said, my wife has a business. And I look at her, this happens again and again. I look at her and I say, awesome. What is your business? And she says, oh, it's just this little Etsy shop where it's just this little graphic design. I said, Oh no, it's not. It's an awesome business. And I can't wait to see what you're going to do with it. He says she has a business and she says, Oh, it's this little. So I noticed 
on the receiving end. I also noticed uh, in other people saying it about themselves. And that's where I started to see this pattern. And, you know, when I see patterns, that's what I teach from. And that's where I really start to kind of drill into that. Because if it happens more than once in my life, I know it's happening in women around me. And I want to teach from that and help them overcome that. But it's some, it's both. I've had the willingness to try my whole life, but I've certainly matured and learned and developed from uh, other people pouring into me and, and, and just paying attention to what's going on around me. Have you felt a ceiling on you as a lady leader, as, as a lady who's got a passion for business and a passion to help entrepreneurs? Have you felt like there has been something you've had to crash through a little bit to be taken seriously? You know, I, this is a, it, it's yes. And it's, it's yes and no. So let me explain what I mean. Are, um, are there real stereotypes, gender stereotypes? Yes. yes. Uh, the first couple chapters of Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, which this is an old book, I know, but it's fascinating research on how men not only can view women in power negatively as if she's, uh, you know, bossy or she's yeah. out of play, all that kind of stuff women view that as well. So we're both mm, <laughs> fulfilling mm. this stereotype. Like women don't like women in leadership. There's all this really weird subconscious things going on. So, so yes, that is real. That's not even debatable. That's real. Um, so is that uh, prevalent in our culture, in our world, in our relationships? Yes, you have, you have to be aware of that. And, and my approach to that, Mike, is to be strategic. So mm. I don't want to come into a meeting of all senior leaders older than me, all men, and just be carrying this banner of like, I'm woman, hear me roar, because that doesn't serve them. And it doesn't serve me and it doesn't serve my purpose. So I'm strategic in respectfully presenting my ideas in a way that are assertive and direct and confident, but not uh, overcorrecting. I think sometimes yep. we overcorrect because of this perceived yep. stereotype that we just want to, you know, bra burning, flat, <laughs> flare flying, you know, <laughs> make a big scene out of yeah, it. Yeah. We don't need to do that. So, so it's that it's the, yes, it's real. And I also advise people to be strategic, but here's my best advice. Here's my best advice. I don't remember who said this quote. Um, and I, I'll lose some women that are like super on the feminist end here with this one, but this is, this is where I stand on, on the whole issue of women. I'm like, be so good. They can't ignore you. That's good. Just be so it, it's not about women or men. Yes, you'll be in industries that are more primarily men. And yes, you'll come up against stereotype. But if you are just so stinking good, day in and day out, if you are excellent, and you work hard, and you bring it, be so good that they promote you because they can't not promote you because you're so stinking good. And they look up when they go, Oh, my gosh, and she's a woman. Yep. Imagine that it's almost like they forgot you're a woman. I don't want anyone to promote me because I'm a woman. Oh, well, we need more women. We need more diversity. Let's put some women in. How condescending is that? Mm. That I got to a position of leadership because I'm a woman, because we needed more equality. No, I want to be there because I'm so stinking good. They have to have me there. And, and that's my advice to women is just be so good. They can't ignore you. But that would be my advice to men as well, by the way. Oh, just, that that is leader. so good, Christy. That is so good. And I think back to some of the guests we've had Kelly. I don't know if you know, Kelly masters. She's, she was, name, yeah. she's an NFL agent. And I remember her talking about walking into a room of 500 agents and she was the only woman in the room molly fletcher who was the jerry Maguire of of sports agents back uh -huh. in the day nancy grace is my sister-in-law and oh, so wow. nancy's built a great career yep but having to bust through ceilings and right. you're not you're not known because you're woman you're known because you're really good at what you do and and now you've got a whole format in business boutique where you are pouring gas on that fire for women what would you want every woman to know 
about the passion that you have and that Dave and, and the Ramsey Corporation has for what they could be? What would you say? Well, I would say it's it's two part. One, I would want women to know, and this is again true for men, but specifically I work with women through Business Boutique. I would want women to know that there has never been a better time to mm. chase your dreams than right now. There has never been more access, more money, more resources, more tools, more free marketing through social media. There has never in our entire history of our world been a better time to start a business of any size, even a little Etsy shop. (laughs) There has never been a better time to start a business, any type of business than right now. So whether you want a creative outlet or you want extra income for your debt snowball, or you want to help contribute to your family income, or you want to leave your full-time job that you hate, you want more flexibility to be with your kids because you don't want to work the nine to five. I don't care your reason. There's never been a better time to do it. So I want them to know that, that now is the time. The second thing is, is that the opportunity is there for them, not for someone else, not for someone business minded, not for someone with an MBA, not for someone that has more resources or money or time or skills or someone that has a cuter blog or more followers. The time is right for you. And, Mm. and that's what, that's my heart behind business boutique is I take all the intimidation factor out of business. And I show you how accessible it is for you. Here are the steps. Here is the plan. If you follow these steps, you will win. And, and Mike, now that we're four years in, see, when we started, I was like, all entrepreneurs, it was theory. It was like, I yeah. think it's work. Yeah. Let's throw it against the wall, see if it sticks. Now we're four years in and I'm getting stories on a weekly basis of millionaire businesses that were brought up within business boutique. Like That's we are awesome. building right re- on a regular basis, not a one-off million, you know, top line revenue, millionaire businesses, uh, business owners. And then you also have women that say, I had a goal this year to earn $2,000 in my business to help contribute to our income. And I earned $20,000. And now we've paid off our debt and we're debt free because of this business. It's more, it's doing more than I ever could have thought. And these are women that are going, Oh, I'm just a mom. I'm just a mom. I would have never thought I could run a business. That's why I say it's not for someone else. If God has put a dream in your heart, if there's an idea that keeps you up at night, if there's this stirring in you, lean into that because mm-hmm. the Lord is doing something in you. And he wants to, there are people that he wants to help with that dream he's given you. And he has a plan for that dream he gave you. And it's a plan and a dream that the world desperately needs you to step into. So lean into that and pay attention to those whispers because I, I believe God wants to do something through you through that. That is so true. And we'll have a link in our show notes to the business boutique and all of your resources that you've got out there. Final question, what's sure. next for you? You're 35, you're on the front end of life, you've got little ones at home, you're building a great career, you're building a great business, you're helping others find their dreams, chase their dreams, pouring gas on ladies all across the country, helping that fire burn within them. What's next for Christy Wright? What would you say? Well, I love, I love that question. You know, one of the things that I have enjoyed the most about Business Boutique is listening to the market. So you start with, you know, what you think they need, and then that connects, and then they tell you, hey, we need a little more of this, a little less of this. So um, we have, I have a course uh, called Business Idea Bootcamp, and that's for my dreamers, where those are people that want to start a business, but they're not sure what their idea is. They're going, I want to do something. I do have the desire. I would like extra money. I would like to quit my job. But how do I know what business is right? Well, I created a course for them. But what I'm really excited about in terms of, and that's available now, that course yeah. is out there. But what I'm excited about is that's probably going to be my next book. And I awesome. love to write. And so I'm really pumped about putting that in a, a written format to get that in people's hands where it's super accessible. And out of that, I mean, think of the businesses that could be started once they have their idea. And, and mm. I really believe, I will say this, Mike, when God gave me 
the answer to that question, because I was asked that question all the time for years. How do I know what business to start? How do I find my idea? I sat down one day at my computer. I was on a flight to Phoenix. Actually, this was in 2016. I was like, okay, God, what is my answer to that question? Like, I keep getting asked this. I'm going to write down my answer. And I don't know what this is going to turn into. Maybe a course, maybe a book, maybe nothing. But I'm going to write out my answer. And I know it sounds crazy. But as my fingers hit the keys, I thought, oh, this is special. Like, it was like, it was one, not, not everything I write, but that felt really special. And so that has become the course and then it will become the book. But it's one of those things that I really see God in. And I think it's amazing how uh, you think of the, the ripple effect that could be created, uh, not just spiritually and what's going on in these women's lives when they have this thing, but economically in our nation as these businesses are started and people are hired. And so it's, it's fun to think about. I would say that that would be, I love to always give takeaways, you know, but one of the yeah. takeaways for me is in leadership, it's very easy to feel like you always have to have the answer. And if you don't have the answer to come up with the answer yourself without over spiritualizing everything, if you're a believer in leadership, ask God for the answer, because a lot of times he wants to give you that answer. When you're at a crossroads, when you're in a conflict, we want to just bootstrap and we're good at that as leaders. We're really good, but stop and say, God, how would you handle this? God, what, what is the, what is the path? What is the way for me? And that seems so simple, but man, we're such doers and such problem solvers. It's easy to overlook that. And I believe that this next book and the the course, I believe that that's the answer God gave me. It's not my answer. It's way smarter than me. Like it's definitely way more, more than I could have come up with. So um, I just am very thankful uh, whenever you feel God's presence so tangibly in something you're doing. I hope you enjoyed our time with Christy today. You know, she challenged me in so many ways. What a sharp lady. I love the story of how she grew up and how that helped her be the person that she is today with the passions and the the drive that she has. You know, she's made a statement. She said, when you care about people, you create an experience that transcends transactions. And I picked up from Christy, just our time together, a genuine care for people. She wants people being the people that God created them to be. And that comes from a care for them, a care that they're their best, a care that they live life to their fullest, a care that they are all that they were created to be. Man, I'll tell you this, I'm better from my time with Christy. You know, you even think about Jesus' ministry. I was sitting with a group of leaders this morning, and we were talking about just that ability to love people. When you care for people and it's genuine, you build a great team and you build a great organization. You can do that without caring for people, but it's not going to last as long, and nobody's going to enjoy the journey. Jesus had such an amazing ability at caring for people, at looking into someone's eyes, in someone's eyes and stopping and hearing their story and hearing what God was up to in their lives. Christy, thank you for that drive that you have to care for people. And may that be ever more true in ours as you're helping ladies build businesses and, and do something with the talents that God's given them. And man, what a challenge to all of us to be able to do that in our own journey, that we become those people, that we become those men and women that we are supposed to be. Well, I hope you enjoyed that time with Christy. I sure had fun listening and talking to her. Episode 32 is going to be a fun one as well. We sit down with a great podcast host and a great Christian leader, Luke 
Norsworthy. His podcast is called Newsworthy by Norsworthy. He has on some amazing guests, and he was a fascinating guy to talk to. So until we meet again, if this podcast is something that you enjoy, would you push pause? Would you go to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, leave a review for us? It helps other people find their way to us so maybe we can help them be the leaders they were created to be. Or you could stop and share this on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can share that with somebody. Thanks so much for taking time out of your crazy schedule to join in today. And until we meet again, go be the leader that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 